You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet. I am taking a small break. We, then, also are taking a small break. You are with me on this journey where we explore everything and we plumb the depths of the universe in our search for a better understanding, greater insight into the wonder of God's creation, his creative genius, as we look for the connections between things that we had never imagined could be connected. We're going to talk about warrior poets, and I'm going to make the claim that I think we should bring back the warrior poet. My neighbor two houses down sent me a meme, and it's a quote also, I suppose. There's this really nifty artistic rendering of a samurai warrior charging. He's got sword in hand in one hand, and then he's got something else in his other hand. It might be a staff, maybe a magical staff. I don't know. This looks like maybe a little bit of a fantasy portrait, something for a book series or a game, maybe concept art. But in any event, he is certainly a warrior, and it looks like whoever it is that he is walking towards has some explaining to do. But the quote is from Sir William F. Butler, and it goes like this, quote, The society that separates its scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. And JP sent this to me. He also sent me three articles earlier this week, Monday, and I am very tardy in even sitting down to read those three articles just yet. I will read those three articles just yet. They look very interesting. But that was just the problem. When he sent them to me, they looked too interesting. And I knew that if I read them right away, I would not have the presence of mind to be able to appreciate how interesting they were. And so I waited. I keep thinking about them all week. And I was stuck on this track of And this is why we got married. I did parts one, two, and three on the 8th, 10th, and 11th. And then lots of conversations back and forth with various persons about those podcast episodes. You can listen back through them. There's about an hour and a half worth of content there. But I'm looking at this idea. And I have the capacity this morning, Saturday morning. It's a beautiful Saturday morning in Greeley, Colorado. I have the capacity to think about this one simple quote. And so I'm going to. I'm going to do what I'm capable of doing this morning. And I'm intrigued by the statement. Is that true? The society that separates its scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. Let's just explore that here for a few minutes, shall we? Years ago, I remember talking with someone about special forces, the military. The United States military has various elite corps within each of the branches, 
And these elite cores are kind of the cream of the crop, if you will. And they do the most dangerous missions, the most high-risk missions. They have the best training. They have the best gear. Usually, also, they have the most customized gear. So whereas your typical infantryman might have a standard-issue rifle, that's what you get. That's what we were able to get a good contract back from Colt or Smith & Wesson or whoever to buy in bulk, in quantity, this is what you get. Take good care of it. The Special Forces guys, they typically pick out their own gear. They customize their own loadout because they're special, right? They're special forces. They have special missions, and you have to empower them to be able to pick out what it is that they feel they're going to need so that they're going into these missions prepared for whatever is going to be thrown at them. And they don't operate as individuals, as lone wolves, but they operate in small units where this guy has this gear and that guy has that gear and that guy over there has some different gear entirely. And this guy has special training. So does that guy, that guy, that guy. This guy's really, really good at X, Y, and Z. That guy is able to dabble just a little bit, but he's really good at these other things. And together, they make a force to be reckoned with, which is far more potent than their small number would lead you to believe on the front end. But I read this thing about special forces in particular years ago that far from being these meathead, kill, 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 brainless fighting machines, that they were actually profoundly intelligent, well-read, smart, capable, disciplined scholars that actually a lot of these special forces guys are very well read and they study a lot and they're very well spoken and yes they have a capacity to be violent and they have trained and honed that capacity to a very sharp edge but the special forces guys recognize that their mind is their greatest weapon the mind has to be cultivated. They have to put things into their brain so that in a sticky situation, they can come up with creative solutions on the fly. That's why they're sent into these very dangerous behind enemy lines scenarios is that we don't know entirely what they're going to encounter there. We just know that they're going to encounter challenges that are unforeseen. They'll be able to collect intelligence and come up with an approximate idea and a basic plan and outline. They know what their objective is and they might have A, B, and C contingencies or more based on if this happens, which it might, or if that happens, which it could. They've got to be able to improvise, think on the fly, be spontaneous. They've got to be able to wing it. They have plans, they're able to plan, but they have to be able to adapt their plan to the circumstances as conditions unfold and develop. And so that idea really appealed to me and it really, uh, oh, I guess you could say I, I found it compelling. I found that idea of a warrior poet, if you will, to be really inspiring. 
And so I don't pretend to be anything even remotely approaching special forces level. But broadly speaking, in general, I want to cultivate a mind which is capable of adapting and overcoming. I want to pursue a toughness of mind and a resilience of spirit which is able to tackle challenges as they come up and tackle them head-on when they need to be tackled head-on, tackle them in an asymmetrical, indirect sort of way, like Butch Liddell Hart says in strategy, the indirect approach. I want to be able to adapt and overcome and face challenges, whether they be violent threats, which is very rare in our society. For most people's day-to-day experience, they don't have a lot of violent threats. Some aggressive perpetrator wielding a knife or a gun that they have to subdue. Or whether they're just interpersonal relationships, work relationships. Maybe a dangerous situation with an instrument or with some piece of equipment at work. Something that has the potential to hurt or kill somebody. Time is of the essence. What am I going to do? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to collect information on that thing before we're in a sticky situation. Before time is of the essence, so that I can decrease my reaction time. I can increase my capacity to do the right thing, to clip the right wire when the timer is ticking and that bomb is going to go off, so to speak. But I like this quote. I like this quote from Sir William F. Butler. The society that separates its scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and it's fighting done by fools. Right now, we have this problem. And it's a big, big problem. And that problem is that as a society, we are at war with one another over reality. The nature of reality. What is real? What is a fact? Fact checkers are this feature now in recent years which came out of the left. And these fact checkers presumably were reacting to conservatives saying that the facts don't care about your feelings. As Ben Shapiro has famously coined the phrase, the facts don't care about your feelings. The fact is that you're a biological male, so I'm going to call you a boy or a man. I'm not going to call you a woman. I'm not going to call you a girl. You're a male Biologically, that's a fact. You don't have to like that you're a male. You can be discontented. You can be angry at God for having created you a male. You can be angry at society for having expectations on you as a male of the species. You can feel any way you like about the fact that you're a male, but at the end of the day, the fact is that you're a male. So take just that one little simple example and now give it endless possible alternate expressions Any fact is up for debate depending on how we feel about it. If we can contend with whether someone is objectively a male because somebody feels a certain way about their maleness, then we can contend with any other fact as well. And we can throw out the facts when they don't fit what we want. When we care more about what we want than the facts, we are at war with reality. 
And so in a scenario like this, you should have people who are good at thinking and reasoning and making sound arguments and appealing to the better angels of our nature, making clear why this is so dangerous. We should have some gatekeepers who, not to stop debate, bring these debates to their logical conclusion and to a healthy resolution. We should have thinkers in our schools, in our universities, in our workplaces, in popular society, in culture, in the arts, in the media, in the journalistic apparatus. We should have thinkers who are good at thinking, who are able to say, hold on a second, let's think this through. What you're saying is not good, it's not true, it's dangerous, it's foolish, it's wrong. Let's correct this thinking, this faulty thinking, according to reality, according to what is objectively true. Well, we don't believe in objective truth anymore. And so since this is a battle of wills and not really a battle of wits, the thinkers have recognized that they take their life in their hands when they engage the folks who don't like facts, who don't like reality, who don't like truth. They love darkness because their deeds are dark. The thinkers have thought through this enough to realize there's a real risk of having their career destroyed, having their social life destroyed. They come under threat of enemy fire if they go up against this and they say, objection. And so a lot of our thinkers have decided to put their capacity for thinking and strategy to a very selfish, callow, cowardly purpose. They have decided to put their capacity for rational thought to work on preserving themselves at all costs, at all costs. No, no, please don't fire me. Don't fire me. There's nothing worse than you firing me. I'll say whatever you want. Just please let me keep my job. No, no, please don't stop being my friend. I'll say whatever you want me to say. I'll affirm whatever you want me to affirm. Just please keep inviting me to parties. Just please stay connected to me on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. Please just keep liking my pictures on Instagram. Oh, please don't go. Come back. I'll help you build up an edifice, a philosophy, tenets to support you doing whatever you want to do because that's what I have to do if I want to stay comfortable, if I want to maintain the status quo because the status quo is good for me right now. And the status quo might turn against me in an ugly way if I challenge you, if I disagree with you, if I confront you. Because you love darkness, and your deeds are dark. And you'll call it a mercy, and you'll think you're doing God a service if you persecute me for disagreeing with you about the nature of goodness and truth. So, Sir William F. Butler is onto something here. Do we want our thinking done by cowards, who 
only ever look at their bottom line first. First, if it's risky propositions for them to disagree with, contradict, confront forcefully, persistently, meaningfully, these bad ideas that threaten to tear apart society, to destroy lives, to implode our economy, our political system, our culture, our arts, our families, real flesh and blood, men, women, and children, boys and girls, they'll let it be. They'll look the other way. They'll go on break when that gate is being stormed. Mm, You know what? I just realized I need to go use the restroom. Yep. BRB, guys. BRB. I know they've just brought the battering ram up, but... um, I just remembered I got to go somewhere. I got to, there's a thing. I got to, good luck. Good luck. No. See, this is why I'm, I'm not so hot on college and university. I am all for education. In case you haven't noticed, me liking to talk about everything I really like education, true, actual, genuine education. I like, I love learning. I love acquiring more knowledge and adding understanding as I'm adding knowledge. I want to not just know facts and trivia so that I can wow you with my capacity to remember things that are not terribly important, but they make me feel important. They make you intimidated like an intellectual bully. No. I don't want to just know facts in the abstract. I want to understand how the facts fit together to produce a positive result. How can I honor God by fulfilling that creation mandate, by filling the earth and subduing it? How do I subdue this creation that God has put me in for a purpose, on purpose, not accidentally, but intentionally, towards a good goal and stated aim, which he has, and sometimes a a not stated aim, Very often, not a stated aim. He just puts these things in play and he gives us his word and then we read it and we look at our circumstances and we have the spirit. If we're in Christ, God's spirit dwells with us. That's part of why Christ went back so that he could send a comforter to dwell with us. So how do I do that? How do I exercise discernment in these circumstances? How do I pursue wisdom and knowledge and try to acquire those things and good judgment? How do I pursue good stewardship? How do I pursue instructing my children, my sons and my daughter at all times, all of life being education? How do I do that? How do I think through these things in a way that's not selfish and self-centered and self-serving and cowardly? How do I do that? I think part of how I do that is I record this podcast with an eight-foot boar spear leaning against the wall next to my desk. Not because I'm using that on a regular basis, right? I should probably dust it off, but it stands there. It leans against the wall here as a symbol, in part because my name comes from an old, I believe, Germanic name that means spear ruler. So I thought it would be funny. I thought it would be funny. It amuses me. Who else knows? It doesn't matter. 
but amuses me to have this eight-foot boar spear leaning against the wall next to my desk because it symbolizes something to me. I have the Macfarlane family crest, a giant shield and emblem hanging on the wall above my central monitor, a half-naked Scott at the very center, one hand on the crown, one hand holding a bundle of arrows. It says, this I'll defend, because it symbolizes something, something important, something to remember, because I think Sir William F. Butler is right. I think he's onto something. You don't want to separate your scholars from your warriors and have your thinking done by cowards and your fighting done by fools. I am reading through the personal memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant right now, and I would highly recommend for anyone interested in history, for anyone interested in American history, for anyone interested in military history, for anyone interested in the Civil War, read the personal memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant. They are very well written. They're very enjoyable, highly enjoyable. That man is one of my heroes now. Not just because of what he did, but because of a genuineness of sentiment, a gallantry, which is so beautiful and it feels so foreign in our day and age. There's a genuineness of sentiment that comes through in every line and paragraph by U.S. Grant. Former president, winner of the Civil War, champion of Reconstruction, vanquisher of the Ku Klux Klan. Ulysses S. Grant is very subtle. He's very funny, actually. I find him very amusing, very charming, very subtle, very witty. And he knows how to throw a jab, not too hard, but just hard enough. He knows how to get a dig in on somebody that he doesn't really respect. They haven't earned his respect. He knows how to get a jab in just hard enough for you to understand his meaning, for you to take his meaning. And surprisingly, very often, he's complimentary of the men that he was fighting against. And sometimes he is not so complimentary of the men he was fighting with alongside because they weren't all such respectable men. They weren't all really pursuing the cause that they're all supposed to be ostensibly fighting for. Some of those men he was fighting alongside were all about themselves. They had more of an instinct for self-preservation than they did a fighting spirit. And they got the men under them killed. And they got the men who were looking to them for leadership and guidance and command hurt. Real flesh and blood men, not in theory, not in the abstract, killed. They lost their lives. The war was protracted. It was much longer and bloodier and more costly and painful because men put their own self-interest first. They put on the uniform. They show up. They take that offer of title and command because that's also selfish. They have selfish reasons for wanting to take that title. Yes, I will be a general. Yes, I will be a captain. Yes, I will lead men because it's a feather in their cap, because they're a political opportunist, because they're ambitious. 
Ulysses S. Grant is a noble character because he wasn't that way, at least as far as I can tell. He was a man of capacity who had his foibles, he had his weaknesses, but he wanted to serve his country. He was able to serve, and so he stepped up to the plate, and he understood what too few men have understood throughout history, and that is that to bring a bloody conflict to an end, sometimes you have to charge headlong into it instead of shying away. Sometimes when you shy away from a conflict and you hold back and you pull your punches, you don't avoid the conflict. In fact, you bring it about more surely and more devastatingly than if you had just tackled it head on, flying into its teeth. We ought to want our warriors to be poets. King David in the Old Testament is one such man. He's a warrior poet. He might just as easily sit down beside a stream, tending his flocks, harp in hand, writing a song of God's goodness. He might just as easily do that as pick up a sword, a spear, a shield, a sling, and five smooth stones and confront some threat which everyone else is busy hiding in their tents, afraid to even acknowledge. Let's just pretend he's not there and maybe he'll go away. Let's just pretend this is not happening. Let's just be at war with reality objectively and maybe the Philistine army will go away. David shows up to bring lunch to his brothers and he says, isn't anybody going to fight this guy? <laughs> go home, David. Oh, go home, please. Stop, stop. Who sent you here? Who told you to come? Dad, oh gosh, please go home. Please, please stop. You're embarrassing us. I'd like to see the king, please. I'd like to speak with your manager. <laughs> so David does, right? He's a warrior poet. He's not a coward. Whatever else you might say about David and his imperfections, he is no coward. And he's also not a meathead, right? He's not some macho stereotype. He is a warrior poet. He is thinking. He is feeling. He is possessed by a genuineness of sentiment, a depth and sincerity of feeling and conviction, which is not a distraction from his martial prowess. It is central to his martial prowess. We don't want our fighting done by fools. We want our fighting done by men who love God, who love their countrymen, who love their families and their friends. And it is such a beautiful thing when men are willing to lay their life down for a friend. When men are willing to put their life on the line in defense of the innocent, that is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful picture of what God created men to be like. We don't want these ivory tower, stuffed shirt politicians pretending to be scientists, pretending to be teachers and professors. We don't want them doing our thinking for us because they're cowards. And they need to be replaced. Buy my book, and this is why we homeschool, available now.
on paperback and e-reader from Amazon.com for more on that. But we need our thinking done by men who are willing to risk life and limb in pursuit of the good, in defense of the innocent, who see trouble coming and they gird up their loins, they strap on their armor, they grab their shield, come back with this shield or on it, the Spartan women used to tell their men as they went off to battle. Come back with this shield or on it. If a man came back without his shield from a battle, it was usually in the ancient Greek world, proof positive that he had fled the battle. He had retreated. The hoplite shields were such big, cumbersome things that you couldn't really effectively retreat from an enemy with that shield. You'd have to throw it down to be unencumbered, to make haste, to outrun your enemy. And so the Spartan women would tell their husbands, their sons, their brothers, come back with this shield or on it. Because if you come back with the shield, that tells me that you stayed in the fight. Come back with the shield or on it. Greater love hath no man than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. We need our thinkers to be men of courage who are willing to lay it all on the line in pursuit of the good and the true for God's glory and for the benefit of those around them in their charge, in their care. For all this talk of toxic masculinity, I think more of us need to read Jocko Willink and Leif Babin's books. Extreme Ownership is the one to start with. Extreme Ownership is written by these two Navy SEAL commanders who now go around to corporate America. They go in and they talk with management teams, upper management teams. They assess the corporate culture and they help management at these various corporations and businesses to figure out creative solutions to cultural problems that they have, to systemic problems that they have. And I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. I think it's wonderful that you've got these Navy SEAL commanders going in calmly but in a gravelly voice because they could, they could scream their guts out and have, in other circumstances, when that was called for, and so their voice, their vocal cords are a little bit raggedy anymore, but calmly, intelligently, insightfully, and directly saying, this is the problem you guys have. This is what you're saying, and it's undermining what you say you're trying to accomplish here. This is what you're doing, and it's undermining what it is that you're saying. Your message is not matching up with your conduct you're not in alignment. Your leaders are not in alignment with the stated vision. Or your stated vision is not very clear. Or your stated vision is not a good vision. It's not specific enough. It's not productive. You guys are shying away. Or you're being overly aggressive without thinking because you think that that is going to win you kudos. Read Extreme Ownership about men in particular. I'm going to say men in particular. Men seeing problems around them and confronting them and tackling them instead of ignoring them, instead of avoiding them. That is 
manhood, masculinity as God intended. That's what we're supposed to be about. Those are the kinds of men who should be fighting our wars, and those are the kinds of men who should be thinking and helping us to think more correctly. Because it takes guts to tell the CEO of a company, you are the problem with your company. The problem is not your middle management, and it's not your frontline workers. You are the problem because you're sending mixed messages, because you're saying one thing and you're doing another, because you have a double standard, because you're showing favoritism, because you're abusive, because you're negligent, you're asleep at the wheel, whatever, right? It takes guts to tell somebody who's in a position of authority, who has brought you in to assist and aid them in figuring out a problem, to tell them what you're doing is not working objectively. Here are the facts. However you're feeling about the facts, here are the facts. Do you want to be successful or don't you? You called us here, so presumably you want to be successful. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to stop doing. Here's what you're saying. And you need to say this instead because your messaging is wrong. It's not clear. It's not direct. It's not efficient. It's not correct. It's not respectful. It's not having the effect that you say you want to have objectively. In business, in academia, in the management of our families, in the management of our foreign policy, in the management of everything, and how we conduct our lives as individuals. Even if you're a janitor, even if you're a groundskeeper, even if you're cleaning toilets at Wendy's, whatever. We need courage in every sphere to be able to tackle those things head on for all the problems they have, for all the threats they pose. And it takes love, love of country, love of our family, koinophilia, love of home, to be able to work up that courage. You have to care about something more than you care about your own safety and well-being and comfort. But let's leave it there. Enough about that. I got to run. It's a Saturday morning. Some of my kids and my wife are probably starting to stir and starting to wake up and start the day, and I should go and see how they're doing. I should practice what I'm preaching here. I should put this into motion. But love to hear what you have to say, what you think. If you've got additional quotes like this, send them my way. I love it. Thanks, JP. For all the rest of you, thanks for listening. As always, until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.